O God, in the stillness, come meet us. Amen. So we're preparing to celebrate the 4th of July this week, right? Independence Day. So I started thinking back to some of my own memories about the 4th of July, and I can still see the American flags that, to this day, line the cemetery in my hometown for the entire month of July each year. When I was a kid, I remember going to the fair or to Branson, and we would see the musical group singing patriotic songs, and they would always be all decked out in their red, white, and blue. And then even more recently, in the last few years, uh, my mind goes to that beautiful image of fireworks shooting over the Arkansas River, as we say in Kansas, right? <laughs> that was a surprise to me when I moved here. <laughs> shooting over the Arkansas River with that, the beautiful keeper of the plains in the background. And yet when I think about these observances, it seems to me that they're more about celebrating the country that we live in than they really are about independence itself. Independence is about self-government or self-determination, sovereignty, autonomy, freedom. And you all know this history well, I would assume that it was on July 4th of 1776, when 13 colonies in what is now known as the eastern part of the United States claimed their independence from England. The great irony of this day is that while the Declaration of Independence did indeed lay claim on independence for one group of people, there were other groups of people in the same land who continued to be enslaved, and still other groups of people in the same land who were simultaneously being pushed out of their homeland. The leaders of this country had not yet caught the vision or been wise enough to discern what it would look like to claim freedom and independence for all. This same complexity is inherent in our Christian faith because the great message of God's liberating love has been used to both free people so that they can live their most authentic lives and it has been used to subjugate, to enslave, and to demean people. Our history as an American nation and as a Christian people is complex. And it's important to remember the whole story, or the many stories, as we look back both in gratitude for independence, but also as we look to the future and continue building what our country will be and what our faith will be and do. We are fed certain images and narratives about what happened in those early American years, and they shape our collective memory about who to value and what to value. And so I just want to give us an example. Do we have my slides from this week or not? Maybe not. I'll just have you imagine things. Um, I was going to give you an example. Who do you picture when you think of early American leaders? I have to be able to hear you since none of us can see. What? George Washington? Thomas Jefferson? I can't hear you. Abraham Lincoln? Okay, wonderful. Wow, you did just what my picture did. We think of the old white men, right? 
with like white hair. That's like, that's like the first story we think of when we think of early American history. But why is it that we don't envision perhaps prominent Native American chiefs? Or why is it that we don't think of, of African American slaves upon whose backs the wealth of this country was, was built, right? These stories and these people are also our early American leaders. They, we, have created this country together. We so easily fall into the mindset of a single story about the beginnings of the United States, and we so easily fall into the mindset of a single story about the beginnings of our Christian faith in the United States as well. There is a Nigerian author and speaker named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and she speaks about this phenomenon in her TED Talk, which is entitled The Danger of a Single Story. It is worth listening to the entire thing if you never have. But she talks about how when we are fed the same story over and over about a people or a place, we begin to believe that what we learn from that one story is the totality of that people or that place. And so she says, and I quote, the single story creates stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. Just think about that for a minute. The problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. They make one story become the only story. And in her TED Talk, she tells some of the stories of her own life. She shares of times when, when she experienced being put into the box of a single story. She tells about when she arrived in the U.S. and her American roommate, who she did not yet know, asked her to produce her favorite tribal music from Nigeria. Chimamanda Adichie pulled out her favorite Mariah Carey CD. <laughs> Much to the surprise of her roommate. But she also shares times when she herself fell into that trap of, of putting others into the box of a single story. She remembers the time when she traveled to Mexico and she was actually surprised to see the vibrancy of the people and the culture and the music and the dances and the beauty of the land. And she realized that she had bought into the narrative that everyone in Mexico is poor and has nothing. That it's only a place that you might try to escape. Chimamanda Adichie goes on to say, many stories matter. Stories have been used to dispossess and malign, but stories can also be used to empower and to humanize. Stories can break the dignity of a people but stories can also repair that broken dignity. And so today, as we prepare to, to celebrate Independence Day this week, I want to tell you a story about an early American leader who was also a Christian leader. I think as I have learned more about this person's story, I realize that this is a leader who was truly wise in the ways of wisdom. 
Because not only did they fight for their own freedom, they also sought to pass that freedom on to others, particularly on to those who are most vulnerable. And by telling the story of this leader today, I don't think I can hope to unravel the single stories that each one of us have been given about early American history, but I think I can give you one more story, one more narrative to place alongside the ones that you already know. And my prayer is that through hearing this story, it will empower and humanize and repair broken dignity. And as we think about the context in which we live today, even just those two things that we lifted up in prayer today, right? The Stonewall riots 50 years ago. And the challenge and opportunity that we face today regarding how we treat immigrants, that this story might have a way of speaking into our lives, that perhaps this story can remind us that we still live in a country where freedom is complex, where we can ask questions like, who is freedom really for? Who works for freedom and who benefits from it? What would it look like? What would it take for us to create a country and a world where all are truly free? And so the story that I want to tell you today is the story of a woman named Catherine Ferguson. She became known as Katie throughout her life. She was born in 1779, and the exact date is unknown. Her mother was enslaved and gave birth to Katie while she was being transported from Virginia to New York City. Katie's story shows so much of the complexity of early American life and also faith, but it also shows a vision of the way of wisdom, what true freedom looks like, and how to share both with others. The man who owned Katie and her mother practiced the Presbyterian faith. And as was very common at this time, Katie adopted the same Presbyterian Christian faith. She was a deeply religious person. But when she was eight years old, her mother was sold to a new owner. And Katie was left by herself. She never saw her mother again. And biographies of her life say that it was at this young age that Katie determined she would claim her freedom. She was not willing to live the rest of her life in slavery. And her other goal as this young eight-year-old girl was to make the world a better place. She was interested in reading, and at one point she asked one of her mistresses if she could learn to read, but the mistress refused. And over the span of her life, Katie never learned to read. And then at age 10, she asked her master, this Presbyterian Christian man, if he would grant her freedom. And she promised that she would serve the Lord her whole life if only he would grant her freedom. And he refused. She persisted, both in her faith and also in trying to gain her freedom. 
When she was 16 years old, she worked out a deal with another woman in the city. And the the deal was that the woman would purchase Katie for $200 with the agreement that she would pay back the amount in six years, thereby having her freedom. Later on, the terms were changed, and the woman agreed to exchange 11 months of service for $100, and the remaining $100 was paid off by a prosperous New York merchant. So Katie was free. She began making cakes for weddings and parties as a way to earn her living and her reputation as a baker spread. When she was 18 years old, she got married. Not much is known about her husband. They had two children, but both of them died when they were only infants. At some point in her life, Katie moved to a house on Warren Street. And there's a biographer, Hartwig Allen, who writes that at that time when she lived on Warren Street, she regularly collected the children in the neighborhood who are accustomed to run in the streets on the Lord's Day into her house. And she got suitable persons to come and hear them say their catechism. Now, in this particular era of of church life, Sunday schools were an unfamiliar concept to churches. And so when children were out of school, or if they just didn't have stable homes, they were out on the streets causing mischief. And Katie was one of the first people who decided that she could do something about that. So she gathered children in her home, no matter what the color of their skin was. She taught them the scriptures and hymns from her own memory, because she herself never learned to read she also brought in other students who, or other teachers who could work with the students on reading and writing, and her Sunday school grew so big in her home that soon the pastor of her church invited her to move the Sunday school to the church lecture room. Some of the biographers believe that Catherine Ferguson's Sunday school is the very first in New York City, and others say that it's just one of the earliest. But her efforts to make the world a better place didn't end there. Katie also led two prayer meetings each week for adults and children. And she also took into her home children that no one else wanted. She invited street children who were orphans. She invited children who had unfit parents. She invited children who had just otherwise been kicked out of their homes. They were all invited to come and stay with her. And she would host them until she could find another family who would provide a suitable home where the children could remain permanently. Over the course of her lifetime, she fostered 48 children. 48 children, 20 of whom were white and 28 of whom were black. Now, because Katie was illiterate, she didn't leave any written records of her own life. And so, in many ways, Her life is rarely mentioned by historians, and yet the impact she had on her community was huge. This is evidenced by the way that she was recognized in the newspapers after her death. So Curriculum Concepts International quotes one newspaper as printing these words, thousands in this community have heard of or known Katie Ferguson, the celebrated cake maker for weddings and other social parties, but many may be ignorant of the extraordinary deeds which crowned her life. And the reporter, that same reporter, also said that wherever Katie lived, the whole neighborhood became a better place for it. 
She responded to the needs of the poor. She loved all children, no matter what the color of their skin was, and she shared the great gift of her faith with all of them. The book of Proverbs tells us about people who have wisdom and enjoy its benefits. And the scripture that we read this morning contrasts the way of wisdom with the way of the wicked. And when I think about the life story of someone like Katie Ferguson, I can just imagine her her saying these words to the children in her care. The way of wisdom was the path that she walked, even in the face of heartache, even in the face of grief. And her family and her her ministry were born out of a grief so deep that it, it so easily could have turned into a destructive path for her life. I think about all of the times in her life when she experienced grief. Think about her as this young child, eight years old, to have her mother taken away from her. And then the ways that that grief would resurface at every stage of her life when she might hope to have a parent present with her. Every milestone, she personally knew what it was like to be lonely and uncared for as a child. But she also knew grief as a mother when her own two biological children died in infancy. She knew what it was like to carry a precious human being in her womb only to lose that life too soon. She knew what it was like to long to mother. And she knew what it was like to have a gap or a hole in your family. But Katie also knew grief as a black woman She knew what it was like to be discriminated against because of the color of her skin and her gender. She knew how it felt to be treated as if she had no rights and no dignity. And in that grief, through that grief, she found a calling to love all the children on the street. The black children, the brown, the tan, the peach, the creamy, the white all the beautiful array of colors. She found a calling to train them in the paths of a brightness, to instruct them in scripture, hymns, reading, and writing. She found a calling to share the love of God with the least of these. In the context of her life, she was born just a few short years after America claimed their independence. And the irony of that American independence is that it didn't free her. In another ironic twist, the religion of her master, which must have given him some sense of comfort and righteousness in owning her, is what gave her the perseverance and persistence and determination to claim her freedom and dignity. My friends, when I think about this and I think about what it means for us today to live in this Proverbs way of wisdom, to keep away from the path of the wicked, I think it is so important to know our history, to learn the many stories of our history, 
lest we walk that way again without realizing it or even without intending it to be so. May we also be followers of the way of wisdom. May it shape us in such a way that we too love and care for children of all colors and shades of skin. May we enthusiastically share faith and live faith in a way that frees people. May we be a people of wisdom and independence. Thanks be to God. Amen.